If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me this morning, we're going to look at uh, what's called a pastoral epistle in Titus chapter 2 and 3. If you don't have a Bible, there's one there in front of you. Uh, we would love for you to join us there. And by the way, take it home. If you don't have one, we'd love to give you one. Uh, also, the words will be on the screen as, as well. The title of my, my sermon is Living in the In-Between. My favorite destination on the earth of all the destinations, and by God's grace, I've seen some absolutely amazing destinations, but the favorite place for me in all the earth is a teeny, very rustic, very rickety old cabin on Owasco Lake. It's one of the Finger Lakes in upstate New York. And probably why it's one of my favorite destinations, it was 1969, I was four years old. You can do the math there and see I'm really old. Uh, that my family bought this cottage. And they bought this little place, and that became our summer residence as I was growing up. And if you want to have an amazingly magical childhood, grow up in the Finger Lakes or the Adirondacks and, and be able to see God's beauty and creation. Most people think of New York, and they don't think anything like this. But it was, it was in a magical, incredibly blessed place to live. And when I, when I fly back home and I, I fly into the Syracuse airport, I know I'm, I'm nearly home. And I, I get excited. I get that feeling of home. And although I've lived here way longer uh, than I did up there, I still call that place home. And probably many of you who have another place in childhood, whether it's Iowa or wherever you might from, you, you, you know that feeling of home. And so as, as I drive from uh, the airport to our little rickety uh, family cottage, um, I'm, I'm driving along. It's pretty rural as I get there, and I go by a place called the In-Between. Uh, the In-Between, it's a really cool, historic-looking building. It's a historic-looking inn. It's a beautiful estate. Isn't that not gorgeous? Um, one year, uh, you see the fields behind them. One year, they planted, instead of corn, sunflowers. And it was acres and acres and acres of rolling sunflowers. It was just like, whoa, this is, this is absolutely incredible. And you see that little lookout up there. Probably was up there for looking out for Indians. I mean, I'm the kid that was raised up there for, uh, um, you know, uh, early uh, colonial times, uh, maybe even during the Civil War. You never know. But, uh, but what a cool little place. But it's in between. And it's perfect for me because it's in between the airport and my favorite destination. But it makes you wonder, what is that really in between, right? I mean, for me, it's perfect. It's in between the airport and, and my cottage. But for the rest of the world, it's like it's in the middle of nowhere. I mean, so, you know, why name it the in-between? Why not just name it in the middle of nowhere? I mean, this is like completely, it's Camillus, New York. You'd never find it. You're in these little remote roads, and boom, uh, there that is in the middle of nowhere. You know what? We are living in the in-between right now. That's where we are as Christians. God's word tells us the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, that the grace of God will appear again. And I know oftentimes, even as Christians, does it not sometimes feel that we are living in the middle of nowhere? I mean, the reality is Christmas is over. We celebrated the reality, the beauty, the blessings of all that. And still we have this longing and this emptiness and this need. Do you ever feel like you're living in the middle of nowhere or the middle of in-between? And so I love what Scripture is going to tell us, is that we are, we're, we're right now, we're living in the in-between. Uh, your greatest life is not now. 
Your best life is not now. There's a lot of blessings. So we're going to look at God's word because it's going to tell us that we are living between these two appearances. We're living uh, in the in-between. We're going to look at really uh, three things with that. We are living in the in-between, and with that we'll see the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. And we'll see that the glory of God will appear, bringing our blessed hope and an end to all of our fears. So, again, Titus chapter 2, Titus 2, uh, verses 11 uh, through 14. And then we'll also read Titus 3, verse 4 through 8. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to, uh, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Chapter 3, verses 4 through 8. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we're so grateful for your word because it's our directional map. It tells us where we are in your story. It tells us who we are in your story. And it tells us how to make it home. And it all points to Jesus. And God, we thank you that your promises that you gave to the, our forefathers, to the prophets of long ago, that they have come true in Christ Jesus. We thank you that our Savior has come. We thank you that we now have life and life abundantly. And yet, God, we know we live in a time where not all of our, all the promises have been fulfilled. And there's still so much brokenness. There's still so much emptiness. There's so, still so much darkness in our world, in our families, in our lives. And God, we need you. We thank you for the grace that tells us that we really are people in between, in between these two worlds. And God, I, I pray that your spirit would come and that you would be the teacher that you would be pleased to speak through a broken sinner like me. Oh God, come powerfully uh, into this room and online so that, that we can hear your voice, that we could understand your word, that we can embrace your truth, that we know how to live in this present age in a way that brings you glory and good to our neighbor. That God, I'm fallible and I'm sinful and I need you. So the things that I say that are just wrong or my opinion, God, don't let those things stay around. Let them fall away. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior Jesus. And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen.
All right, no matter, the reality is this, no matter what you opened up yesterday under your Christmas tree, or maybe even Christmas Eve the night before, no matter what you received, I hope you received some great stuff, were all your hopes fulfilled? Were all your fears diminished? Did all of life change? I mean, here we are the day after. I mean, really, are we markedly different than we were right before Christmas Eve? I mean, before we opened up the gifts, or our kids did as well, do we not still hope for more? Do we not still hope, as even one of the prayer requests, I hope that next year is better than this one? Do we not hope for a, a future that has less tears? Do we not hope for a future that has less fears? Uh, do we not uh, hope for a time with less sorrow, left emptiness, left can less cancer, less divorce, less grief, less misery? I mean, listen, we live in an amazing uh, country, and oftentimes in the midst of plenty, but we still long for more. And if we don't long for more, listen, I'm not talking just longing for more because we're greedy. We are. We're materialistic. We tend to be. But I'm saying this. We, we long for more because we're needy. Because we're broken. Because we leak. And, and we're living now in this in-between. In-between God's two appearings. So that's the first thing is this. We're living in the between. We're living in a time between the two appearings of our great gods. And I love if you follow along in Titus, he says there's two appearings. Appearing one, that Christ our Savior has come and great things have happened, but we're waiting for another appearing. There's, there's more to come. Our great God said he is coming back. And we are living in what theologians will call, this is really going to help you. I'm going to tell you. So let's, let's take this term and let's understand this because it will help you understand life. We're living in now what many theologians call the now and the not yet of history. We're living in the now. Right now, we have incredible blessings from God. Why? Because they've been fulfilled for us in Christ Jesus. All the promises that the Messiah was come is true. That Jesus was born. Uh, that he did walk on earth. He did live that life for us. He did. That cross was a real deal. He hung there for us. The tomb is truly empty. He did ascend into heaven. So right now, if we are his people, right now we can have forgiveness of sins. Right now we can have adoption into his family. Right now we can have a relationship with him that's not broken because of our sin. Right now we can have life and life eternally. I love what the gospel John 17, 3 says. This is eternal life. Eternal life is that we may know God and the, and the son that he sent. So it's basically saying eternal life isn't just something that starts when your heart stops. Eternal life is something that starts when your heart softens. When you embrace Christ as your Lord and Savior. Then you're given this great gift of life. And what's called life abundantly. So we live in the now. All of God's promises are fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Listen, not some of them. All of God's promises, and they're God-sized promises, and there's many, read through Scripture, all of the promises are fulfilled in Christ. But not all of the promises have come to fruition yet. We enjoy some of them now. We'll enjoy some new ones tomorrow. In the following week, in the years that God gives us, while he tarries, but all of God's promises are not ours here yet now. We have incredible blessings now. Don't lose it. You've got to be reminded of who you are right now, what he's done for you right now. But we have not yet received all of God's blessings. 
I, you've often heard me talk, if you've been around me, that I rail against those, those theologians. They're called uh, the pastors that are prosperity pastors that will tell you that your best life is now. They tell you that, that if you get your life right, if you give enough, if you do the right things, God is going to so bless you that you can have the best life now. No, that's not true. You can have great life now in Christ Jesus, but he's not here. We can't see him. We still pray for cancer. We still pray for brokenness. We, we still have sorrow all around us. So it's not all of God's blessings aren't here. Christ has come, but we long for his return. That's, what we're, that's where we live. Christ has come. But man, we still cry out. Uh, it's the word Maranatha. Uh, come again. Come, Lord Jesus. I mean, come. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Have you lived long enough where you've cried out to God in prayer saying, come back. Come back. You know what? This is bad. Will you come quickly? I mean, come and fix this. You know, it, it, it's interesting. Uh, I, I spoke at the Maitland Men's Club, uh, and I, I, I'm in charge because I'm the chaplain. I'm in charge of Easter, and I'm in charge of Christmas. Pretty good things to give me, right? And so, and I could bring in a guest speaker, and, and sometimes I do, but you know I love talking. So I, I came to them and, and gave a message, and, um, and really was a joy. And one of them came up to me afterwards and said, you know, Pastor Jeff, can I ask you a question? I'm like, yeah, please do. Why hasn't Jesus come back yet? I mean, look around. The world is so bad. What in the world is he doing waiting? And again, my response to all those questions are, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I mean, God's ways are my ways. You know, I mean, you don't want, you don't want me to know. You know, he hasn't invited Jeff. Is it time to come back yet? I mean, you know, I don't know when he's coming back. But here's what I think. Well, here's what I know. More important. God is merciful. And God is long-suffering. And you know what God's word said? God says that he desires that no one will perish. Watch this. He's not going to lose one of his sheep. And so I looked at this man and I said, maybe your great, great, great grandson is going to come to know Jesus. And he's going to wait until that last sheep is home. He's going to wait until the family's complete. He's not, not, the family tree is going to be perfect, right? And there's not going to be like one, man, if I waited a little longer, I got that one. So he said, that could be a really long time. I'm like, you're right. Now, I, I don't know. Let me, I'm, I'm weighing down the beaten path here. But I, I, Jesus, according to Scripture, I fully believe can come back today. Perhaps today will be the day. Perhaps today it's all over. And I hope you're ready. But it might be years, millennia. I don't know. But here's what I know. He loves sinners. And he rescues them all. And it's fantastic. But we know that even in the book of Revelation, it says that there are martyrs who cry out to God right now at the throne saying, how long, O oh Lord, how long? I mean, can't we get to the final scene? Can't we, can't we end this misery? Can't we just be together and no more cancer, no more sickness, no more sorrow? Listen, you were made for that, and so was I. And you have a longing for more, and so do I. We cry out, Abba, Father. Okay, but we see the grace of God has appeared, and it has brought salvation to all men. Now, now we know that there's not everybody who's saved. So this is, this is all men who are his. These are, this is what uh, his sheep, uh, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles from every tribe, tongue, and nation that he set a love on before time began. But the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Our, our Savior uh, has come. In, in Titus uh, 2, uh, verse 1, I'm sorry, verse 11. Sorry. 
Again, it says this, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Hard to miss that. Three, four, but when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, we know that the grace of God has appeared and it has brought salvation. Jesus' promises are true. The Messiah has come. If you've embraced him as your Lord and Savior today, now you're his. You're forgiven and free. Salvation has come. We have been rescued. Listen to what it says through 5 and 7 again. Uh, it's, it's absolutely incredible. He saved us. Remember, he, Savior has appeared. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You know what this is saying? This is absolutely amazing. He's saying, listen, uh, God saved us in Christ Jesus, not because of the things you did, not because you're good, and not because you're righteous next. No, 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 no. It's all about his grace and his mercy. It's about this thing called regeneration, that, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And the only way that we can have God's grace and salvation is he's got to make us alive. He gives us the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and say, whoa, we're sinners, and we need, to, we need to embrace Christ as Lord and Savior. Unless that happens, we don't ever turn toward him. We are saved by God's grace and mercy through re regeneration that he makes us his own. It gives us the faith to embrace Christ as Lord and Savior. We have been rescued, and we have been made heirs according to the promise. And everything that Christ Jesus has, has, has owns as the only obedient son, he shares with us. Now, we don't have it all yet, but we're saved. Our Savior has come. We have been rescued. But we got to know, we're not home yet. Are you lonely? Are there times of loneliness? I mean, are there times that you just, it's just empty still. Now listen, I'm, I'm talking to those of you who love Jesus, and, and, and you know, you, you, you really love him. But there's an ache, and there's an emptiness. And sometimes you think, what's wrong with me? I got Jesus, how can I still be lonely? I got Jesus, how can I still feel empty? Let me tell you, because God put eternity in your hearts, and you're not home yet. And you're going to long for home. So what do you do with that loneliness is so important. You don't want to fill it with what the world got. It's going to make you worse. You're going to say, okay, Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done. God, I'm missing home. I'm missing my Savior. This place is not right. And I need more. We're not done yet. <laughs> We're still in a battle. Are you weary? You know you are. I mean, aren't you weary of praying for loved ones that, that, that aren't getting better? Aren't you weary of praying for lost friends that, that aren't coming home yet? You're in the battle, and we're not done yet. And we're not, we haven't been taken off the battlefield. And here's the great thing is, we know who wins the victory, and we know the battle is secure, but we're in the midst of the battle. The grace of God has appeared. He's brought salvation to all men, but there's more. The glory of God will still appear, bringing our blessed hope and the end to all our fears. Listen to 2.13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're waiting. We're still waiting for more. Listen to verse 7 and 3, verse 7. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope 
of eternal life. There's more to come. So let me, let me, let me just say, what do we do while we wait? Isn't that the question? That we, this, this, this is the ultimate question. We're between two worlds. What do we do while we wait? Do we just try not to mess it up? What do we do? Now watch this. We are here now to prepare the way for our king to come back. We're here now. We're here. Where's the church on earth right now? And our goal, our job right now is to prepare the way for Christ Jesus' return. I mean, we're to bring joy to the world. We're, we're to let the world know that the Lord has come. And we're to prepare the world for, to receive her king. I, I know as I was thinking about this message, all I could think about was, uh, for those of you who remember your college dorm room, all right, if you went to college, and you remember thinking of your dorm room, probably was one of the nastiest places you saw the place of the earth, right? And what if you got word real quick, your mom's coming to visit? What would you want to do? Your mom's coming and your dorm room looks like that. You better get that thing ready. You don't want to disappoint your mom, right? She walks in there. She's like, well, I didn't raise you like this. What's the matter with you, boy? You know, um, the reality is our king is coming back. And this is his land. This is his kingdom. And we got to get ready. We got to get it prepared for him to come. We got to prepare the world for his return. And even when he says, pray now, pray that his kingdom come. Pray that his will be done. Where on earth it is, it is in heaven. Jesus came as the light of the world. Now he says to us, you ready for this? We are the light of the world. We're to shine into the darkness. You know what this means to us? What are we to do now? We are to look for our lost brothers and sisters in peril. We are the ones. We are to engage this world in good works and rescuing this world and the peril that they're in. And what we need to do right now is present this world Jesus as Lord and Savior, the only hope. The Christmas story is an amazing story. It's a story that love is incarnate, love put on flesh, that love divine came to captivate our hearts. That, that, that Jesus was willing to go to the ends of the earth to find us and to rescue us. And now he says to us, his people, go to the ends of the earth and find the hungry and feed them. Go and stand up for truth. And I'm telling you, there's going to be lots of opportunities to stand up for truth right now. Do it in a loving way. Don't be just bashing people over the head. But I'm telling you, it's time to stand for truth, church. I mean, it's incredible what's out there. You're to look for your lost brothers and sisters who are in peril. You're to speak kindly to those in need. You're to bring a, a cup of cool water to those who need it. You're to represent him. Prepare the way the king's coming back. And he's asked us to be looking for the lost and the broken. Our king's return is going to be glorious. The glorious, it says that, the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior. Jesus' first appearing was not I mean, it was glorious in the heavenly realms, right? All the angels were singing. But it was humble and meek, and most of the world completely missed it. There was no room for him in the end. But I'm going to tell you, when Christ comes back, wow, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess, and there's not going to be anybody who misses it. I mean, the king is coming, and we've got to be ready, and no one's going to miss it. Why? Because it'll be the end. So what do we do in the present? I love what verse 12 says. Look again at verse 12 with me, okay? Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. What are we to live? What do we do now? Live a godly life in this present age. Turn from sin and turn toward Christ Jesus. In verse 14, it says this, be zealous for good works. And remember, it's very, very important we get this. this is, you can't miss this doctrine. 
None of us are ever saved because of good works. Ever. I mean, I, I've made that point, but we are saved to do good works. I read to you uh, a couple times Titus 3, 5 through 7. Let me turn to Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Listen to these words. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It's a gift from God. It's not a result of work so that no one can boast. Okay, how are we saved? Grace, faith, in Christ alone, right? But listen to verse 10. For we are his workmanship, a masterpiece in Christ Jesus, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, <laughs> to prepare the way for the king. We were saved by God's grace through faith, but we're saved to do something, good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's basically saying when you walk in something in Scripture, the Greek word is peripatao, this should be your lifestyle. You should be living a life that is loving your neighbor, that is loving God, that is proclaiming the good news of Christ. God has, has gifted you with the Holy Spirit, giving you his word. He's placed you where he wants you to be, and he wants you to shine for him the way you love your neighbor and the way you love him, the way you provide for those in need. That is what he wants us to walk in. We are to have, we have a zeal for good works. I love this church. There's so many of you who have it. but We all got to have it. And then it says... We need to devote ourselves to good works. Remember, we don't devote them to get in. We, we devote ourselves to good works because we got in. Why? And I love it, what it says. Because it's excellent and profitable for all people. What do we do now? Well, I used to have a banner. They're there. For the glory of our great God, we live for him. For the good of our neighbor, we live for them. We're living in the in-between. Please, my brothers and sisters, do not expect paradise here. Expect trouble. Expect hardship. Expect, expect going against the grain. As a matter of fact, if anyone desires to live a godly life, Scripture says, you're going to be persecuted. Long for more. Long for more in Christ. Prepare the way for your King to come. He's coming back. Make sure your room is ready. The room, the dorm room that God has given you. Make sure you're ready. Now remember, if you're his, you're going to get home. And if your room's a little messy, he's not going to say, oh, you know what? I came here. Look at your closet. It's terrible. I'm leaving you behind. But right now, he says, prepare the way. Because I'm coming again. And the world is still weary. And they need to have people with hope. And you have people who long for his return, who say, I'm going to say no to, to selfishness. I'm going to say no to this world, and I'm going, to, I'm going to train myself for godliness. I'm going to train myself and dedicate myself for good works. And don't let anybody think that you're better than them because of your good works. No, no, no. For the glory of our great God and for the good of our neighbor, I'm just preparing the way for my king, and I'm giving him my life. Let me end with a story. I was going to use it on Christmas Eve, and I don't know why it just jumped in my head, but it's one of my favorite stories. It's a, and I, if I botch it, I hope not. It's, it's from Charles Spurgeon, my favorite preacher. He, he lived in London um, in the 1800s, and man, he would preach to thousands, and boy, could he preach because they would come to know Jesus. But he told a story of this. He said there, there was a farmer, and a farmer uh, had a field, and he, 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 he grew a carrot. And he grew this most amazing carrot. And, and I have a couple farm girls here. And so you guys might know growing things like carrots. And so 
Um, and, and he said, you know, look at this. This is the greatest carrot I will ever grow. I mean, this, 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 this land that God gave me, this is the most amazing carrot. He goes, you know what I'm going to do with this carrot? I'm going to give it to the king. So he, he gets it all washed up. He gets it all cleaned up. And he, and he gets in front of the king. And he says, uh, king, this is the greatest carrot that I've ever grown. This is the greatest carrot that I'll ever grow. But uh, I would like to give this to you. And the king said, wow, that's fantastic. What an incredible carrot. Listen, this is what I want to do. I want to give you some land. Because obviously you're a very good farmer. And obviously you're, you're just a wonderful person. I'm going to give you, would you have this land? And would you make more carrots like this? This is fantastic. And then there was a nobleman in the country, not a very good guy, a guy who owned a lot. And he's like, are you kidding me? I saw this transaction that, that a guy with a carrot just got land. I'm going, to give, I'm going to give the king a horse. So he got his horse, and he brought it to the king, and he says, hey, king, now, listen, I have a lot of horses, but this is the best horse I've ever had. This is the best horse I'll ever have. And this is the best horse, and I, I, I know my horses, and I want to give this horse to you, the king. He said, thank you very much. He kind of went on his way. And the guy said, wait a minute. Excuse me, Mr. King. I don't understand this. What happened? I, I just saw that man bring you a carrot and you gave him land. I'm bringing you a horse and you're dismissing me. He said, the difference is, is he brought me the carrot. You gave yourself the horse. You get the story? What do we bring to God? Bring to God our very best because he's worthy. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Don't try to bring him anything to get something back. He's given us his son. Don't try to manipulate him. Prepare the way for the Lord. Give him your life. Live for him. And I'm telling you what, if you do, you're going to find the greatest life on this earth. Nothing better than serving King Jesus. Amen? Prepare the way for the Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we do live in between these two glorious appearings of our great king. The first one was so humble and lowly, most people missed it. But the heavens didn't. Angels didn't. I mean, they couldn't stop singing that God's plan of salvation was unfolding. Salvation came to earth. God wrapped himself in flesh. Our Savior walked among us. He lived the life we failed to live. He died the death we deserved to die. He conquered death itself, and that tomb was empty. And he opened up heaven, and he gave us life and life abundantly. Oh, gosh, thank you for coming, Jesus. But God, we long for your return. You see the world better than we do, and I don't know how you tolerate it. I don't know how you haven't wiped us all out. But I know that you're merciful and loving, and, and maybe it's my great-great-great-great-grandfather, my grandson or daughter that you're waiting for. I don't know. But God, I know that we, as your people, need to prepare the way. The way for our king. We need to be zealous for good works. We need to be devoted to them. We need to love our neighbor as ourselves. We, we need to live for the glory of our great God, not so that we get in because we already are in. And we've got to prepare the way for King Jesus. Find his faithful, I pray in Christ's name.